Well, it's good to be here. I, uh, I missed last Sunday, and it was really the, the first time that I had missed church because of illness for 30 years. Um, just uh, I remember when I was about, whatever, 21 or so, something like that, and wanting to go to church and uh, just not being able to, um, but just God's grace on me. Uh, just thankful for that. Uh, just God has put within me a desire just to be among God's people uh, when I have a, a chance and an opportunity to, uh, to be so. Um, and so my message was mostly prepared. Here we go. We're good. Um, and so we're actually going to get the message I was going to preach before Christmas, here after Christmas. It'll work out just fine. But I've heard that Troy did a, a wonderful job uh, in my absence, and I'm thankful for him and for his heart for the Lord. Well, most of you know um, also that one of the things I like to do is uh, play pool. And uh, I play in a, a league on Monday nights. And um, uh, I try to be light in a dark place, if you, if you know what I mean. And uh, about a year ago, I remember meeting someone um, who I had not really met before, but he'd heard through the grapevine that I was a, as a pastor of a church. And so when I, I, I went and I I met this opposing player on our, the, the team that we were playing against, and he said, now, I hear you're a pastor, is that right? And I said, yes, I am. He says, so does that mean we can't swear tonight? That's kind of what he, what he said. And, and with, with every bit of grace in me, I, I tried to explain to him that, well, my presence really should not change any of that because we're before the Lord all the time. And then uh, we, we chit-chat a little bit, and then a few moments later, he said, you know, I, I got a question for you. I got really a question about the Bible. Isn't the Bible, he said, isn't the Bible really a book um, uh, about philosophy, about um, right, just, just things and ideas that, that people have uh, to help people like, like feel better about this life and, and, the, and the life to come? Isn't that really what the Bible is? And, and I said, no, that, that's not how I view the Bible at all. Uh, I view the Bible more as a, as a book of history, re- recording the facts of what happened throughout uh, creation, through the, through the nation of Israel, and even to the days of, of Jesus. And the conversation went, went on back and forth, and he was, he was arguing that, you know, the, the Bible's more just kind of made up thoughts and stories. And I was arguing, no, that uh, the Bible's about the reality of life. He was arguing, no, it's, it's just stories made up to help us cope with life. And I was, I was telling him, no, I, I, think, I think it has to do with the testimony of Jesus. We might deal with him about the reality of life, not just merely coping with life. And I, I told him how Jesus went about doing good, how he was hated by the religious elite, how he was crucified, killed, buried, and how he, he rose again from the dead. And he calls us to repent and believe on him uh, for our sins. And he continues to the Bible is made up. And I said, okay, here's the big fact, right? Have you ever read the Bible? And you know what his answer was? Um, well, well, a little bit. <laughs> Very curious, isn't it? How he came up to his belief strongly without even reading of the, the source. So I, I encouraged him to read the Gospel of Luke because Luke begins right there, right at the beginning. He says, I'm writing these things so you might know exactly what happened in the life and, and ministry of Jesus. Well, I think it was the next week or maybe two weeks later, I saw him. Um, he was kind of playing on another team, and so I saw him, and I said, well, did you, did you read Luke at all? And uh, he said he began um, until he got to the point of the angel appearing to Zechariah and talking to him, which is in chapter 1. 
And um, that's when uh, he said he stopped reading because he really has a hard time believing in angels and that they really speak with people uh, about that. So he just didn't, didn't, didn't read any further. And I, I told him at that point, he says, you know what? I think that you have persuaded yourself that the Bible is really a book of philosophy so you can feel good about your life and you don't have to deal with Jesus and everything that he represents. He said, you really think that? I said, yes, I, I really do because you haven't even really looked at it so much. I just encourage him, well, you know what? If you're having difficulty believing that, just, just read through the story of Luke and just look at the life of Jesus and just see whether this is a book of made-up stories or whether it's talking about history and, and the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Well, uh, I really have, he's not in the pool league this year, so I haven't, haven't seen him for a while. So I, I don't know what's, what's up with him now, whether he's believing or not. Um, but as I think about our conversation, you think about what, is it, what does it boil down to? It really boils down to the truth, doesn't it? I mean, it really boils down to what really happened, what's really true about the life of Jesus, what's really true about the, the life to come. And the Bible speaks to this. It claims to have the truth. And this morning we're coming again to our text that we've been this whole Christmas season, John 1.14. Single verse has been our focus of attention because it explains Christmas. Uh, when God, the God of glory, put on human flesh, putting forth His grace and His truth. So let's just read that verse together if we can. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this Christmas season, we've picked out four words. We've picked out four key words here in, the, in, the, in this verse. One is the flesh. Second is glory. Third is grace. And fourth is, is truth. And each week, we've taken each of these words, and, and we have sought to just trace them through the Gospel of John. We say, well, what does John say about Jesus in the flesh? And we saw how Jesus experienced everything that humanity, um, that, that there is to face. He faced physical struggles of, of fatigue and hunger and pain on the cross. He faced emotional extremes from weeping with Mary and Martha over the death of their son to rejoicing at weddings. He faced the social struggles of being rejected by his family in John chapter 7, who didn't believe in him, he, his, his brothers didn't, and being rejected by his peers. In other words, Jesus experienced everything that we have experienced as human beings. The whole range. Physical, spiritual, social. I mean, the whole thing is right there, emotional. Next week, right after the flesh, we looked at glory. And particularly John speaks about the glory was um, demonstrated mostly in his signs that he recorded for us. Turning water into wine. Healing the lame and blind and the sick and even raising the dead, raising Lazarus from the dead. And all these put forth his divinity on display for the world to see. And then John wrote those down for all of us to see. Not only his humanity in the flesh, but his, his glory as well. And the next week after that, we looked at grace. And we saw that Jesus was, was full of grace. Everywhere he went, he demonstrated grace. Grace to sinners, grace to the needy, grace to all who call upon him. And this Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at truth, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of truth. My message this morning is entitled, He Dwelt Among Us in Truth. You know, and, and just like my friend in the pool league, there are always those who are seeking the truth, and, and some embrace the truth and some reject it. 
And, and sadly, not, not everyone who receives it, not, not everyone who hears it, receives it. So if you can take your Bibles and, and open in, in John, we're just going to look there, just even at John 1.14, go back a little bit to John 1, verse 9. The true light, that is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. Here was Jesus, the, the true light, who made the world. He came into the world, and the world did not know him. They rejected him. They did not receive him because fundamentally they did not receive the truth. And the reality is this, most people don't receive the truth because they'd rather remain in their sin. And you, you need to catch this, right? People want to remain in their sin. So they take the truth and as Romans 1 says, they suppress it. They reject it. They, they turn away. Turn over to chapter 3 of, of John. John chapter 3 verse 19 this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. And just so you have opportunity to speak with others about Jesus, just, just know this. If people aren't believing and embracing, it's probably because they don't want to have their sin exposed. They want to continue to live the way that they want to live. And they don't want to grasp. We don't want to grapple with the truth. And, and this, is, this is my first point, really, is that truth brings conflict. That's what we see. Is I just took truth and looked at truth through the Gospel of John. I saw how often it's the issue of truth came up and conflict came up. Um, it's really the reality during Jesus and his days of ministry. It was filled with tension and strife. Perhaps you remember the story when when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus up into the temple to be circumcised and brought him there. And, and he was in the arms of Simeon. And Simeon prophesied this. He said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. The rising and falling of many, a sign that is opposed. And Jesus knew what opposition was. And I believe that it all revolved around the truth, that Jesus was full of truth. He brought the truth. People rejected it. They hated it. They hated him. And it brings conflict. And it will bring conflict with you as well as you bring truth to bear upon people's lives. In John's gospel, the, the conflict begins heating up in uh, chapter 5. So you can turn over there. It begins with the, the chapter does with the healing of the, the lame man. And the Pharisees took no objection to the healing but to the time of the healing, it was on the Sabbath. Look at chapter 5, verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. It wasn't because he was doing these things. They didn't have any problem. They couldn't deny the miracle or anything like that. It was just merely the, the fact that it was on the Sabbath. <coughs> Mere technicality is really the issue there. But Jesus answered them, verse 17, My father is working until now, and I am working trying to battle this Sabbath rest sort of thing of uh, how he is working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Not only did Jesus heal on the Sabbath, I mean, that was bad enough. But Jesus was also making himself equal with God, they thought. And he must be destroyed. And then in verses 19 through 47, through the whole rest of the, the chapter, you see Jesus launching a defense of himself and really has to do with this issue of, of truth. 
Look, 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 just kind of even survey. Look, in verse 19, he begins, truly, truly, I say to you. Look what he says in verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And again in verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you. In fact, more than a dozen times in the Gospel of John, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you. He's, he's saying, with his statements, he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I'm serious. Or as some children might say, right? Cross my heart, help me, hope to die, stick a, a needle in my eye. That's what he's saying. He's saying, this is really true. For Jesus was about the truth. Yes, he was equal to God. Yes, he was God in the flesh. Yes, Christmas is real. Yes, Emmanuel has come to us. And in chapter 5, the broad outline, Jesus says, think about everyone who's saying this. I'm saying this. God the Father is saying this. John the Baptist said this. Even the scriptures say it. And and we could go through here and see these things. And a nice summary comes in verse 31. Jesus said, "I I am true. He says, but if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Because on the testimony of two or three witnesses that every fact is confirmed. And he just said, well, I'm, I'm testifying about myself, but, but there are more. He says in verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to truth. So verse 32, we see the Father bearing witness to the truth. Verse 33, we see John the Baptist witnessing to the truth. In, in verse 39, we even appeals to Scripture. He says this, You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It's they that bear witness of me. Even the Scriptures bore witness of Jesus. Yet sadly, many Jews in the days of Jesus didn't accept it. He acknowledges that in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And, and, and like here's, here's the conflict. I'm putting forth before you the truth. Right? You, you, you're not listening to God the Father. You're not listening to John the Baptist. You're not, not listening to me. You're not even listening to the Scriptures. Because if you believe the Scriptures, you would believe me because they testify about me. In fact, he even says that about, about Moses. He says, verse 46, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. This is the Old Testament prophesying of Jesus, right? If you really believe that testimony, you would believe me. And it's all about the reality of truth. And, and this conflict came, and chapter 5 is merely the beginning of conflict. We see conflict coming in chapter 6, 7, and, and 8. And we don't have time to read all those chapters. But we just see, if you read them, it just goes back and forth. That Jesus presenting the truth, and, and the Pharisees or other people are, are like doubting it. And then he presents the truth, and then they're doubting it. And they present the truth. It just, it's just back and forth. It's the reality that Jesus came. He came full of truth. It's all the truth about him. Is he real? Is he the Messiah? Is he God in the flesh? And this question lingers on even, even today. There are many who aren't convinced of the truth. Many don't believe the Bible is true. And I just say this, when you share the truth, there will be conflict. Because truth means that error exists. And truth implies that someone is right and someone is wrong. And those who are wrong don't think they're wrong. And they don't like anyone telling them that they are wrong. And then as a result of that, they'll be mad at the one telling the truth. As they say, right, they'll, they'll shoot the messenger, even though the message is true, right? They're, they're going to come back and forth and there's going to be conflict. 
Like, like, there's two kingdoms in this world, the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There's a battle between there. Every time you bring the truth to bear upon the light, there will be conflict. Jesus faced it, and if Jesus faced it, we will face it. But no, there's also hope, though, that, that truth not only brings conflict, but it also brings freedom. And I'm thinking of one of the most famous verses in all of, of John, that the truth shall set you free. But let, let's begin. John chapter 8. So this is right in the middle of some conflict. You're going to get a taste of it, a, a little bit of it. But we see some encouraging words here in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. It's almost as if, right, it's an encouraging thing that the conflict that Jesus had, maybe he's making some progress. There were some who were, who were believing. That's wonderful. But Jesus quickly then goes to define what genuine belief is. He says in verse 31, He said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That is, it's not mere profession of faith. It's this abiding faith. It's this enduring faith that saves. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, right? It's the one who continues to the end who will be saved. Enduring faith is genuine faith. But there's there's plenty that just have, have faith but are not genuine. And this is important because a little bit later, Jesus will say in verse 44, of those who believed in him, that you're of your father, the devil. So there, there was some belief. There really wasn't enduring, genuine belief. Sure, they believed, but their belief was not genuine. It wasn't lasting. It was a lot of believing like when they fed the 5,000. He said, you followed after me, not because you believed me, but because you wanted food, right? Believing falsely. Because they weren't abiding in Jesus. Because if you genuinely knew the truth, if you genuinely knew the truth, you would be set free. And that's what Jesus says in verse 32. Look there. He says, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's my second point, right? That you know the truth, the truth sets free. There's something that truth brings freedom. It brings freedom from sin. It it brings freedom from the guilt of sin. It, It brings freedom from the power of sin. And that's why Jesus came. He, he came to give us freedom. And if we believe, we'll be free. But before you, you believe, one of the things to be free, you need to believe and understand that you're in bondage. Something the Pharisees refused to do. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. And we have never been enslaved to everyone. How is it that you say that we will become free? They said, we've never been enslaved. How are we going to be free? See, they don't even understand their own enslavement to sin. They don't even believe and understand Jesus, what, what is the freedom that he's, he's offering. They were like the guy in prison who, who's on the kitchen staff. And, and, and because he is free to move about and to prepare meals for the whole prison yard, he thinks he's free. But he doesn't realize he's in prison. And they think they're free. These Pharisees didn't understand they had bondage to sin. And so Jesus said to them in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you again, another one of these, Listen, I'm telling you the truth. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the message of Christmas, that Jesus came to save his people from their sin. And Jesus, the son of God, will set us free and we'll be free indeed. That is, that is really free. Do you know that freedom? Freedom from sin. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the guilt of sin. Well, the Pharisees didn't. Look at verse um, 
37. So this, Jesus said to these same people, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. What Jesus was saying was not finding place in them. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And then the fatherhood gets brought up, and then, and then they begin to argue with Jesus, said, we weren't born of immorality and fornication like you were, you sinner. And Jesus said, verse 44, you are of the father, of your father, the devil. What a sad reality. These religious people were actually of Satan and not of the Lord. Sure, there is a lot of external conformity to the ways of God, but they're really not believing and trusting in Jesus, not knowing the freedom that that brings. We're still in the bondage under the law, still in the bondage of their own religiosity and their own arrogance. And in the end, they didn't believe. Verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. See, because it's the truth that they didn't believe. I'm telling you the truth and you don't believe. It's precisely because I'm telling you the truth you don't believe. Now, many people will believe maybe if you tell them a, a lie or, or, or a little bit different, they might believe that, but they won't believe the truth. Which one of you convinces me of sin? 46. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And, and again, right, see, Jesus is bringing it back to the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And you're not believing me. The question this morning is, right, do you believe? Do you believe in the truth? Now, I trust you're here on Sunday mornings. You, you, you do. But, but don't take just credit you're here on Sunday mornings. I ought not to take credit that for 30 years I've not missed church because of illness. Like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> don't, take, don't take any refuge in that. Someone recently told me of, of their son who... who prayed to receive Jesus when he was eight, and what a wonderful thing that is. Though he's 18 now and doesn't attend church, doesn't know what to first think about Christianity. And, and I, I told her, I said, take zero comfort in the fact that your son prayed a prayer when he was eight. There's nothing that he knows now. Oh, there's hope that, that he will, but don't take comfort in some past thing like you've got some driver's license. Look, I passed a test. I'm, there. I'm good. This genuine faith is enduring faith that believes, abides, trusts in the truth. Well, genuine truth, well, truth brings conflict, it brings freedom, and, and finally this morning it brings life. And again, I get this from chapter 14. You can turn over there, chapter 14. This is the upper room discourse. Jesus given his final instructions before he leaves, before he be crucified, before he, 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 he carries on, ascends into heaven, sends the Spirit to be among us. He's preparing them, and in chapter 14 it begins with that. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's my, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. This is the hope for every believer in Jesus, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. 
He's gone to prepare a place for eternity. And that, and that path of where he went, went through the cross, went through the grave, went through the ascension into heaven. And he's preparing that place for us that someday he'll come back again and we might be with him forever and we'll know the joys of eternity. And, and at this point, Thomas, verse 5, says to him, Lord, we do not where you go, know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, here it is, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And here we see the, the truth there, right, being surrounded by the way and the life. And that's where I get it. Truth brings life. The, 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 in Jesus is the way, and that way brings to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We find life in him by believing and trusting in him alone. There is no other way. It's not that, that Jesus said, I'm a way, I'm a truth, and I'm a life. These are definite articles. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's not that people are going to find their way anywhere else to the Father except through him. Because he says that clearly. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot find your way to the Father through Muhammad or Krishna or Buddha or any of the prophets. You can only find true life in Jesus. He's the only one who died on the cross for our sins. You can't find your life through some philosophy or religion or meditation or, or positive thinking, or by working hard, or believing the best about yourself, or succeeding. You can't, you can't do that. Jesus is the truth. You can't find your way to, to the Father through working hard, or being good, or being ultra-religious, or being self-giving. You can't. None of that does us any good except Jesus. He's the only one who died on the cross for our sins. He's the only one that gives the way to the Father. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that's why we celebrate this Christmas season. That's why Jesus came for us, because he's the true way, the truth, and the life, and that life comes through him. Also found this theme of life in chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And in this chapter, he pictures himself as this, it's this life-giving vine, and, and we are mere branches. That, that vine gives us life. And apart from the vine, we shrivel up and die. Connected to the vine, we live. And connected to Jesus, who is the truth, we live. But apart from Jesus, we shrivel up and die. And that's exactly what Jesus said in, in verse 5 of chapter 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? You abide in Jesus, you've got that life-giving vine in you, and you flourish and bear fruit. In fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything. Right? If you're apart from the vine, this life-giving vine, you can't do anything. And if you're apart from Jesus, there's no life at all. As he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The importance of this being connected to life in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, having the freedom that he brings. Well, I want to close my message this morning with two illustrations, okay? Two people seeking the truth, and one ultimately rejected it, and one ultimately embraced it, which has implications for us. First person I want to look at who ultimately rejected the truth is Pilate. He's the one that ultimately sentenced Jesus to death. But he wrestled with the truth. Look at, look at John chapter 18. Here we see Jesus on trial. He's been declared guilty by the religious court. But they had no ability to put Jesus to death. So they brought Jesus before the Roman court. And in John 18, we find Jesus standing before Pilate. And Pilate is quite intrigued with him. He sees nothing wrong with Jesus. 
But these religious leaders have brought him in and want to have him killed. And so I just want to just get some momentum to verse 38 by beginning here, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again after declaring him innocent to the crowds and just saying, why, why, why should I kill him, right? He's, he, what has he done? And he comes in and he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate asked this question of Jesus because this is the core issue with Jesus and the religious elite. They, they thought, the religious elite, the Pharisees thought they were the ones in charge, but Jesus claimed to be in charge and there was a conflict here. And those in power didn't like it. They want to have Jesus killed. And so to that question, Jesus said this about being king. Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Is that really, he's just kind of saying, is that really what you think? Do you think I'm the king of the Jews? What, 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 did someone just say that? What, where are you? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Kind of like, what? That's, that's like your business. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? At this point, we see the amazement of Pilate's. Here was Jesus, I believe, an unassuming man. Chief priest had wanted him executed. And, and seeing him as he was, it was just hard to believe. Like, what have you done? He, John eighteen thirty six. Jesus answered and said this about this kingship. My kingdom is now this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this word, world. And these weren't words. Jesus demonstrated this. Remember in chapter 6 when the crowds wanted to come and make him king by force? That's when he, he, he slipped away. He didn't want to be physical kingdom because his kingdom was not this world. He didn't need the crowds to coronate him king. But he claimed that he had a kingdom. He claimed that his kingdom was this, not of this world. And Pilate then about this king issue said, oh, you are a king. And Jesus answered, verse 37, you say that I'm a king. And for this purpose, Christmas, right, I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Here it is, right? Jesus full of grace and truth. I was born to bring truth in the world. I was born to bear witness about the truth. And everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says to him, what does he say? What is truth? Now, I would give thousands of dollars for a tape recording to hear how it is that Pilate said this. Because it, his inflection would say everything, right? He could have said, what is truth? As if, like, there's no such thing as truth. What are you just talking about? Or he may have came as a seeker saying, what is truth? We don't know. And really, that's about it of what we know of, of Pilate. We don't know how he responded, but ultimately he, he, he rejected the truth because he delivered Jesus over to be crucified. But think about Pilate. Of anyone in the world, Pilate had the opportunity to embrace truth because not so much the question isn't what is truth, but the question is who is truth? And the truth was standing right before him, was Jesus himself. And you know, every time you have an opportunity to share the truth with people, you're like Jesus before Pilate in many ways. People can embrace the truth that you shared just as much as Pilate could have embraced Jesus. Because people know enough. It's not a matter of whether they know enough or not. It's a matter of whether their hearts are soft to conform, to embrace the, the truth. And so I, I think about my friend who's playing pool, and I, I set the truth 
before him. And yet I think he said, oh, what is truth? Those are just stories. It's just philosophy. It just makes people feel good. And he just continued on his way. It's just, this is a book trying to help people feel better about themselves. I tell you, when you confront the truth, that you don't feel better about yourself. You feel worse about yourself. And you feel better about Jesus, who's your only hope. Well, sadly for Pilate, he sent Jesus away to be crucified because he didn't believe the truth. You can read about that in chapter 19. But the story doesn't end there, of course, because it doesn't end with his death, but it ends with his rising and his appearing to his disciples. And that's Pilate rejecting the truth. Now there's another man who accepted the truth, and his name is Thomas. And uh, what name do we know Thomas by? We call him Doubting Thomas. But you might equally call him, I think, Truth-Seeking Thomas. Because, I think, had the headlines been written in the Jerusalem Times, would have said this. Thomas doubts. He's just saying, I need proof. I need proof. I need, is this really real? Isn't that what Thomas is saying, right? Jesus appeared. He's risen from the dead. He's like, is that really real? And, and like, he's seeking truth. He wants the truth. Verse 24, now Thomas, chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What's he saying there? He says, I need proof. He, he was seeking truth. And he, he wanted, is he really risen from the dead? Well, eight days later, we see the proof come. Verse 26, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. I'm sure he just his wrist, his hand. He said, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And what was Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. Just saying, you are God. Christmas is true. God has come down to us. You've been risen from the dead. And he embraced Jesus and he believed in him. And then with one of the disciples, right, went forth to spread the gospel to the world. I think he went to India where he died a martyr's death, as church history tells us. And Jesus said to him, and this is where it's good for us, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's talking right to us. Is it, yes, he was blessed because he believed, but, but we're even doubly blessed if we believe not seeing. But we certainly have enough proof in the scriptures and in the word. And so that's a question we're confronted with today. Jesus dwelt among us in truth. Do you believe the truth? Because... For John's gospel is all about the truth. Uh, turn, turn right towards the end. John chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple, it's John talking about himself, who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. The testimony about Christmas, the testimony about Jesus, full of grace and truth, is true. So let's believe it and embrace it. You think about us. I, I was driving on the way to church this morning and just telling Yvonne, another decade has passed. Here we are. We're, we're in the 20s now. I think of the 20s. I think of the 1920s, right? The, the rolling 20s, right? 
But another, another decade has passed. Is it going to be a decade, this next decade in the future, is it going to be a decade of belief for you? Is it going to be a, a decade of, of doubt and drifting? Let's believe the truth through enduring faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came and dwelt among us. God, that you, God Almighty, took on the flesh of a baby born in a manger, came to be amongst us, lived among us, so that you can proclaim the truth to us and manifest the truth to us, not only in who you are, but but what you did. God, in that we do rejoice, O Lord. I would pray that Rock Valley Bible Church, God, you, you would find us genuinely believing, deeply believing, that we would say even with Thomas, my Lord and my God, and worshiping you for all the glory that you deserve. Father, thank you for your, your word which opens us up to us. Thank you for the blessing it pronounces upon us if we believe in the truth. And I would pray for those perhaps here this morning who don't believe. God, I, I pray that the truth might, might be in them. They might see that against the, 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 the push of the age, it says there's many ways. It's true if it's true for you. God, no, it's true if it's true. And so, Father, we pray that you would convict us, sin, righteousness, the judgment to come. You would open our hearts to believe and embrace Jesus. I, I pray for the 20s. God, I pray it'd be a great days for Rock Valley Bible Church that we would embrace them and that we would see many come to believe and embrace the truth that's found in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.